Good morning. Welcome to my morning walk. This is the morning walkcast of the Stream of Random with Mike, your host. <clears throat> so I wanted to uh, throw some stuff at you guys, my non-listeners. Talking to myself, of course. Look at that deer. <sighs> so, um... Let's start off with what is mindfulness meditation. As I understand it. And mindfulness meditation is a practice of developing your awareness of your mental state. And a certain degree, a control over your mental state. So not only the awareness, but a control. And it is a form of command and control in some way, because you focus yourself on something. Let's say you're breathing, or you're walking, or you're podcasting, whatever you're doing at that point, and you say, I am podcasting, I am walking, I am breathing. Normally you just do breathing, but okay, let's just say I'm podcasting. Recording my podcast now. And then you become aware of that in terms of being or your mind is, you're observing how you do it, let's say in a passive state. And then you get distracted by something. You say, oh, look at that water tower. Or you think about, oh, man, I left the water running at home. Or, oh, man, my dad hit me because I left the water running at home 10 years ago. Let's just say. And then you get into an emotional state. With the mindfulness meditation, you bring yourself back. You say, oh, I'm in an emotional state right now. Let me bring myself back. Let me bring my focus back to the meditation. So you pick your mind up. Your consciousness then shifts back to your original state. So that's how I understood the mindfulness meditation. Obviously, if you do this long enough, you will reach a higher level of consciousness and awareness. I don't know if I've done that before. Maybe. I've, I, have, I have actually reached a level of imprint or... Um, let's say a meta level of imprinting where your mind is imprinted by a um, experience where you reach another level of consciousness and then you can mark that as a place to go back to. Um, you'll experience like an aha, like, oh yeah, that's what that is. And then that will imprint a level of your mind and create a space that you can then reach into again. Like I was in the swimming pool and I was just observing the water lapping. And I reached a level of bliss and happiness and awareness of that water lapping in the pool. And, um, and I also realized that it was an, a neural imprint being, that was cr being created. So that's what I know about so far. 
Now, how does this apply to the introspector? Well, let's just assume for a second that the computer and the mind are created equivalently, that the cursor on the screen is your point of consciousness, um, the one that you're interacting with, you know, the current instruction pointer of the processor is the cursor, is the point of consciousness. And um, even though it's going very fast, you know, as a programmer, you slow it down. And you can think it through, and you can stop the time. Now, as a human, you can't really stop the time. But you can think things through, and you can become awareness aware of your mind and how it works. Let me just make sure that this microphone is working. I'm pretty sure it is, but it's kind of windy. It says it's recording. Yeah. Well, I hope um, it's using my... Let me save this. Yeah, it said the uh, recording source was Bluetooth. It's just really windy right now. And the wind is blowing across my microphone, so I guess that could create a, a bad sound effect. But they're putting in a new road here around the corner of my house. I'm just checking that out. And uh, it's creating a new space for me to walk on. I got rid of that cliff, which is pretty nice. So I'm just going to take the opportunity. Okay, so let's get back to the, um, the parallel between the mind and um, introspection. The mind and the computer, or the introspection of a computer and introspection of the mind. So as a programmer, so this is where we get into, we invoke Kant. As a programmer, we manipulate programs. And when we think about a program, we inspect that program, we think about how it's going to run on a computer, or we think about a program that is running and try and analyze it. This is like our bread and butter. So that is a process of the human mind. And when we observe that process, and when we reflect upon it, and when we do become mindfulness, we become mindful of that process. <sighs> then we are doing a human thing to a human effort. And then we will realize that the computer is also just created by humans. These are all artifacts of humans layered on top of each other. Some of them we have information about, some of them we don't. Now this is where we introduce the open source idea 
where the open source section of the computing world is the area that we can inter uh, inspect, we can gain deep, deep knowledge of and go deep, deep, deep into it. The non-open source side of it is basically we don't know. It's obfuscated. It's hidden. We've got some crappy documentation. We've got some APIs. You got to join the club. You got to send away your rights. Think like the Intel chip, even though it's widely documented. It's still basically a black box. But if you had full knowledge of that, if you had the open source chip, let's say, and there are open source chips, then you could even go deeper into the silicon. But then eventually you'll get into the artifacts of nature, into the field effects. You'll get into how the switching is working, into the atoms. And then, hey, guess what? You lost you lost uh, access to the open source nature of, of reality because you don't know how those atoms are really, really working. You don't know how they're made. You don't have the source code to them. You don't have the documentation for those. I mean, people studied it, sure, and we can study all of that, and we can look at how man has studied all of that nature, but we really, we don't know. So they'll say that is, on a Kantian level, the science of the world, right? But what we build on top of it, the artifacts, I would even say, you know, the whole programming world of programming is just human artifact that was constructed and is a construct of human nature some of it is open some of it's not open and maybe some of it is a reflection of our nature maybe some of it is a reflection of our you know genetic memory uh, the structure of our mind is being reflected or projected into the human artifacts that we create or the social our social um, conditioning or actually the domain knowledge of the field of study that is being implemented in that uh, particular piece of code you know the algorithm or is it the style the Windows Manager, like the style, the designer type stuff that's being expressed, or is it the game that you're playing? So we've got all these different influences. Um, <clears throat> I guess you could say they're kind of like memes that are expressed in artifacts in the computer. And that these memes are living somehow in the computer. So they're jumping from the mind, uh, a meme being a self-replicating idea. The memes are jumping from the mind into the world of the computers and replicating themselves there somehow. Is that even possible? But they're actually executing there. And every time you uh, every time you visit a website, you are invoking that meme on a computer, 
you're letting it live for another little bit, especially if it's a virus. I would say viruses, you know, are a form of a meme that self-replicates. Okay. So where are we at? So we've introduced the idea of memes. We've talked about the nature of um, humans, the human artifacts. We've talked about how programs are made of different parts, constructed with different influences, different domains. So the software comes from different places. We'll have different domain languages to study and document. Okay, so we can get a lot of details about the bits of code and like where they're from. We can classify them, their domain of knowledge, the type of data it's dealing with, where does that come from? So we can use the um, semantic web type, web ontology language, or ontology language for the web to describe a lot of that. So now this is where I'm getting that for each moment in time, let's say we have the time dimension. And for each moment in time, we can build a vector, which is a bunch of not numbers, which is basically a bunch of neurons. And for each moment in time, that vector can be assigned a number. And that's the reflection function, let's say. That is the function of the neural network, machine learning algorithm, or whatever algorithm that encodes the current state of the system. Into a number, or a set of numbers, a vector, a big complicated number. Like a really, really big number with lots of fields in it. And the size of those fields depend on, you know, how much capacity you have. But what I'm saying is that the mindfulness meditation is a form of introspection. It is a form of a neural network layer that is reflecting over the current point in time. So you're observing yourself, your mental state. Your mental state is a reflection of the world around you. And then you're classifying that mental state with a number, which is the state of your neurons. And well, that's assuming that you can treat neurons as numbers. But in a in a uh, machine learning situation, you do. And obviously, for the human brain, that's a quite a big number. But let's just say that the reflection and the introspection and the mindfulness meditation, the goal is actually to bring that number to zero. 
and I don't mean zero as in nothing. I mean zero as in uh, zero as in nirvana. Like you are, like you are aware, you are um, conscious, you're pure consciousness, but you're not, um, at least that's one level. Let's just say that's one goal of mindfulness meditation is pure consciousness realization where you become detached from reality and uh, you become aware and self-aware of consciousness itself and then you reduce that and you become no consciousness or no mind definitely sure that buddha talked about that these are different levels of mental jujitsu i would assume different imprints different memes different parameters for your introspection or reflection or your awareness function but what I wanted to get at is that the time series the idea of a time series that consciousness is a number on a timeline that's what I wanted to share with you for today and say that the introspection of a program runtime is the same which would be the t number on the timeline, and that for each piece of time, we would want to imagine that we classify the code. Now, luckily, a lot of the code is actually deterministic. So you don't need to know for every single time. You need to know the beginning of a block and the end of a block because a block is a deterministic piece of code where it always happens the same, we hope. At least in the abstraction world. At least with hardware that's not faulty. It always does the same thing. So the, the hardware is deterministic. The atoms are deterministic. And a lot of what it's doing is bitwise operations, turning bits on and off, or reading them and comparing them. It's like, is this on? Is this off? Obviously, if you have an input loop and you're reading and you're reading from the outside world or you have a chaos function or something that's cryptographically um, signed, then you know your or random ver number variables. So, so you could be reading bytes from somewhere or generating bytes, creating a feedback loop where it's not going to be deterministic. You can create non-deterministic um, behavior, I think, in a, or wildly non-deterministic behavior like almost non-deterministic i mean that's a question is it deterministic or not i'm not that much of a computer science but let's just assume that it will blow up your memory 
if you have for every cycle for billions of cycles a second you're producing billions of states in a chaos type of situation so that's like a worst case scenario the best case scenario would be like a completely static unchanging type of function let's just say data and you just read that data and copy it one-to-one -one. so the state of the program's execution is exactly the state of that data there's no jumps it's just one huge block let's say so yeah we can um we can talk about that we can talk about the difference between a constant function and a chaotic function or a feedback function now there's this essay called uh, or this video or essay called the um, it's like the uncannity 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 the surprising efficiency of math in, in the sciences and that math is um, amazingly appropriate for describing the world of physics somehow to a very very deep level so now we're getting into the world of mathematics I would say with these functions and different types of functions so maybe we can um, now make progress into the world of mathematics which is a human endeavor it's artifact of humanity and you might say that it is derived from nature we can go into that where the function has a domain and a range it moves it maps something from one world into another world so we can think of a consciousness function over time as mapping the real world inputs into the mental state and then we have the control mechanism which maps the mental state onto the focus of or choosing the next um, thing to do like bringing yourself back to the uh, the purpose of your meditation so like a control function would say hey if your mental state is not this then adjust something is that a function though is a function something it's mutating is it mapping or is it mutating is it a control is it a monad something that changes the state of the system is consciousness the thing that changes the state or exerts force So let's say, yes, it exerts force. It shifts your consciousness from one state to another, a selector. Or is it just selecting? Is the um, emotional turmoil still running somewhere, but you're just not observing it? Think about that are all these in parallel and you're just a, the consciousness is a selector function that selects between them 
There's a beautiful little waterfall here. With some watercress. So, just collecting some uh, food for my little chickens. So, is consciousness um, controlled or selected? Do we exert a force over it, or do we just choose to read? Oh, what's this? Amber Alert. Okay, I got that. Got an amber alert. <sighs> A lot of beautiful things, guys. And um, architecture. Nature meeting human artifacts, buildings as expressions of artifacts of human need. Spaces, schools. Got a school here. So, <clears throat> but uh, in any case, either you're selecting from, let's say, the mathematical space. Let's say that there's a mathematical space of awareness of possibilities and you're choosing between them by just selecting the next one. Um, now, how do you express that selection, even, or choosing, as a uh, function? Well, presented with this input, the choice function is going to give you the next step, and that next step will be then fed back in to the go-to function for execution. So we actually are creating the chaotic map. It is the feedback loop. It is the chaotic map, which is the mind, so to say. Because we've created a feedback loop. So the output of one function is being input to the other function. That's kind of like the thinker thinks, the prover proves. Like one part of the mind will think up something, and the other part of the mind will prove that it's true or false, or do it. So maybe, um, you know, the selector selects and the executor executes kind of thing. So sure, a lot of deer here. Okay, 
So uh, let's say that we're undecided on this topic right now. I mean, I think I reached a little point here where we could say we've got more than functions. We've got like a process, a loop, where it's like execute this function, get the result, which is your selection. Take that selection and feed it to the perform this operation or go to this position in the probability network. So the go to function. And that will be a function over time of where you go. So you have one function that says where do we go next? And the input of that comes from the selector function, which says observe the reality and make a decision and output the position where to go next. And this is happening in a loop, let's say, while not dead. Observe. Odul, Odul. No, Jocko was saying the observe, orient, decide, and act loop. The Oodle, Uda, is being the basis of um, warfare. And the smaller the loop, the faster you can implement your Uda, the more successful you'll be. So, yeah, maybe it is a procedure in some kind of competitive game where two minds are fighting against each other and they're coming up with strategies for their OODA loops programs, choosing which things to observe. And the other one is observing the other person and they're trying to guess or learn from the other person what they are doing and react to their actions so that the function is to try and understand the other person's function. So you're doing function modeling. And this is where we get into programmers where if you get source code from someone in effect, you're observing their function. If you can just monitor how the program is running, you can observe its execution and try and understand it. If you are um, reviewing the source code, you can try and simulate what it's going to do. You can use different tools to do that. You draw a picture even. And um, observe, orient. Yeah, and then that kind of brings into the competitive nature of, of the world um, where people are competing or interacting, even coexisting, where they're having actions and they're trying to observe other people's actions and trying to react to those actions.
So what does that have to do with the introspection? And well, basically I'm thinking that we can develop different tools for this, different algorithms, machine learning tools to help um, with these functions. And there's got to be some stuff already out there that I don't know about. So we can find other people's works on different helpful mathematical functions that we can use for these different graph structures. But today, I just wanted to share the simple idea of the function over time of the mind and the consciousness function, the control function, the loop, how that all fits together. Yeah, and I think that's pretty good for a walking cast. Just walking through the woods right there. <clears throat> Heading back home. So, uh, yeah, my non-listeners, I hope you uh, enjoyed the podcast. Thanks. Bye.